We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Fay. With me today, a happy Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Luckily, Irish worked for us last night, Nicholas. Happy St. Paddy's Day for yesterday and always good when it comes with the Nets win. Yes, sir. Happy St. Paddy's Day to all of our listeners. And, you know, we can always appreciate Nets win 114-106 over the Mavs. Yeah, they were banged up, but we were on a three-game losing streak and we could use a win anytime. Uh, well, <laughs> any win is a good win for the Nets, Nick. We've... You know, stopped a 10-game losing streak against West Coast team, snapped a three-game losing streak. You know, Ronde, D'Angelo, Damari, my boy Joe, I'm going to chuck him in there because low-key uh, had the best box score plus-minus. So his effect as a starter, really liked him inserted into that starting lineup. And I mean, Kenny Atkinson's rotations, I've really been, I've, we've been somewhat critical of them in the past, especially on the buzz. But I think that's one thing that's become a strength of his. You know, he's tightened those rotations a little bit. Even with the injuries to a guy like um, Alan Crabbe and Dante Cunningham, you know, only played eight or nine guys, and, you know, it worked. Yeah, I think it, earlier in the season, middle of the season, with all the injuries, he was just testing out things, and now, you know, he's kind of shortened that rotation, giving more minutes to some of the key nets moving forward. But it's always nice to beat the Mavs and Mark Cuban. But before we get started recapping, just a reminder, you can listen to the Brooklyn Buzz on Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, iTunes, and now airing on Dash Radio. So definitely check us out on there and check out the rest of the OTG pods. But you mentioned it, Jack. Who do you want to start with? Who do you want to break down from last night's game first? Well, I think we go with Rondé, Nicholas, because um, I'm not going to say that I was the one that gave him shade, but the, my fellow <laughs> co-host, the, the other hyphen in, in the New York Tri-State area, gave him a little bit of shade about whether he's a, a deserved starter. And I think uh, Nick posted a tweet, gave him his kudos, as did Anthony Puccio. He's had over 20 points in his two games as a starter. And for me, the number one thing is, I like him alongside D'Angelo. I think those two have a really nice chemistry, sort of like Karras and, and Allen and then, you know, Spencer with everyone because he's just such a, a, a liberal player in that sense. But, you know, what did you think of his performance? You know, it was one of his best of the season, uh, but we've said that so many times it almost lost its meaning. 
Yeah, no, um, definitely when I was critical of him last time, I felt like he was being too passive and not attacking the rim as much. And I think that combo with D'Lo, D'Lo set him up with a lot of bounce passes that allows him to attack the rim in a good position because he is a lot more athletic than a lot of bigs out there. So I think that's really helped his game. And you see a couple layups, a couple free throws go in. Those mid-range shots seem a lot easier. And he's just been a lot more focused, locked in. And not only did he have back-to-back 20-point games, but I like the fact he had four assists last night and five assists against Philly. You know, yep. We mentioned on a previous pod, if he can add playmaking and ball handling to his game, it'll kind of help make up for some of that you know, lack of a three-point shot. It does, because you look at some wings around the NBA, guys like an Evan Turner who has you know, some uh, elite skill sets but you know, is really passive and sort of weak in other areas. If Rondé can improve, we know he's, his major weakness is his outside shooting. But he's got a, a much more well-rounded game, obviously, got towards the end of this season. You know, the passing game, his rebounding's always been good. His defense has remained uh, very good. And he's, a, he's you know, becoming a legitimate scorer in, in, in a lot of different ways. Whereas in the mid-range, whether it's getting to the line, um, I think that's one thing that Coach Kenny was really happy with. You know, the aggression, uh, I think, was a key sort of thing for the entire team. And I think Rondé took it upon himself to sort of set the standard. And um, him and Damari... Um, really did set the tone for the guys and and got us the win. Yeah, and you mentioned it, Rondé, you know, being one of his better games of the season. You know, he's back to that form we saw early on before the injury and a little more to that because I love the fact that he's taking good shots, shooting a high percentage. And I think you saw last night against Dallas, he had two plays where he probably took bad shots where he was looking for a foul call. He bounced back early in the third and kind of attacked the rim. One thing Kenny mentioned, he loves the fact that he's attacking mismatch a little bit more. You know, instead of just fading for that mid-range jump shot over a point guard or a shooting guard, he's kind of attacking the rim and forcing them to make a play. So I really like that from Rondé when he's just in that attack mode, aggressive on both ends of the floor. I'd still like to see him pick up a little bit more in the steals and block department. But other than that, I mean, can't ask more from Rondé. Yeah, I think because it depends on his his matchup, I guess, Nick. You know, playing against maybe like a Dirk, you know, it's it's hard for him to sort of, you know, crowd those passing lanes a little bit. You know, Karis LeVert probably steps up in that department when it comes to the steals and, and some of our guards. And, I mean, Jared Allen had a few blocks, I think four blocks last night, and he was, you know, really, really solid. I mean, you know, his, his percentages in terms of shooting from the field have dropped off a little bit, you know, obviously hitting that rookie wall, as Coach Kenny mentioned. But, you know, he's still engaged defensively and he's still contributing. But, yeah, Rondé, I think, as long as he can he can nullify his matchup and, you know, his team defense is always really good. He's got the, the perfect body uh, and physique to sort of, you know, be able to switch. And I think the Nets as a whole have a really sort of uh, capable switch-heavy sort of uh, defense. So I think if him and Damari continue sort of this sort of form, you know, it's going to lead to more wins and, you know, more consistent performances going forward. Yeah, the versatility is definitely there. When he has the ability to switch onto a one and not really lose much, I think that helps the Nets a lot. And just one quick shout-out to him before we get out of here. In March, Rondé's averaging 15 points a game, over 50% from the field, five free-throw attempts, over seven rebounds, three assists, just a shade under two turnovers, and this is all in March. So That's a heck of a month. Heck of a month. I, like I said, I love the fact the assist. I think that's one area if he kind of improves on that with the lack of three-point shot when he's getting in the rim, getting those double teams. When you have somebody like a Jared Allen around or Joe Harrison, Allen Crabb in the three-point line, I think he can really benefit improving his passing game. Yeah, we had 25 assists as a whole on 43 made field goals, Nick. And I think that's when we, we harp on it consistently. You know, we have consistent themes on the Brooklyn Buzz. But when we move the ball, when it's, you know, whether it's guards, you know, we don't look as good when we're ISO heavy, whether it's from D'Lo or, or Spencer. But when the ball moves around, you know, finds a, some different players and gets that open look, 
whether it's you know down low for the layup or, or up high in the perimeter, or even for like nice mid ranger from a guy like Delo or Rondé, you know that's when we look at our best. You know the ball zips around and you know it's harder to defend. But you know Rondé's been a big part of sort of like instilling that sort of motion offense and keeping the system moving forward. Yeah, and definitely in the first quarter, you saw that energy, that focus to get the ball moving. Got a couple open threes to really start the game with that 11-0 run. And good first quarters help the Nets because they're probably going to play a bad second or third quarter at some point. You know, they never play a perfect game. So it kind of gives them the benefit where they don't have to make a huge comeback like we saw in the past. They make one of these comebacks in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, and then they run out of gas. So I think that big first quarter also helped them get the win. It definitely did, um, and I, I, I know you made the mention of we're going to have one or two bad quarters. I think with a, a lack of a Dante Cunningham and an Allen Crabb, guys are playing some extended minutes, as we mentioned about Coach Kenny. So you know, there might be a fatigue element to that um, somewhat. You know, guys like Ronde and Karras, you know, are, are seeing extra minutes that they haven't seen uh, coming back from their injuries. You know, I think Joe Harris had something like 35 or 36 minutes, which is you know almost unheard of from a guy like Coach Kenny. He's only played a couple of his guys. Uh, those sort of minutes this season. But one of those sort of glue guys that we like to talk about that sort of just fits well everywhere, can sort of, you know, be a spark plug as a shooter, you know, get even some nice defensive stops. But yeah, I think if these, I like the rotation. That's for me, was one sort of key takeaway. Apart from the aggression in the defense, I'm really liking Coach Kenny's development and experimentation with the rotations, sort of going, okay, well, if these guys, don't, if Quincy AC, Jalil Okafor don't deserve them, and Nick Scousis, I'm not going to be just democratic and hand them out willy-nilly. You know, I've, I've seen enough from these guys to know what they can do. And right now, I want to give my guys are the ones that are sort of performing the minutes that they deserve. I agree, and especially when you have in mind guys you're going to move forward with. I think at this point, probably Nick Stauskas isn't somebody they're going to keep around. If they did, it would be on a really small contract. So you kind of build with D'Lo, uh, Lavert, you know, Rondé, Spencer. You give them big minutes to see what they can do. What did you think about the lineup change? Obviously, some of that is due to the fact Alan Crabb's out. But, you know, with the new starting lineup of D'Lo, Joe Harris, Damari Carroll, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, and Jared Allen, how do you like that and Spencer on the bench? Yeah, I'm a big fan of it, Nick. I was going to mention to you, Spencer coming off the bench as that sort of, uh, you know, juiced up six man. You know, he, are you, on the latest JBT, Nick and I chatted about Isaiah Thomas and his sort of changing role with, with LA. I think it's a similar thing with Spencer. You know, Spencer has elite skills in so many different areas that he can bring it no matter what. He's going to get the minutes. He still had 30 plus minutes, 31 minutes. And he still brought it on, on both ends of the floor and was really capable and sort of the leader of that unit. And I think... In terms of his fit right now, I think it works really, really well. There might be nights where a matchup or, or an injury dictates that he comes into the starting lineup, but I like him running this second unit alongside of Karis LeVert. Um, it just gives us this different sort of look. And, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie uh, has started for us many and many, many a games, obviously with the injuries to D'Lo and Karis throughout the season. So him feeding on the second units, he's going to absolutely destroy and dominate them. So I like it from Coach Kenny and Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy that's always going to be team first. So, you know, the, the changing role for him isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's just about him sort of, you know, keeping that aggressive mentality no matter what. And that, that three from the logo with Steph, like, it's just absolutely lights out. You know, massive shout out to him, you know, nice little highlight from, from Dinwiddie. Yeah, and I think, that, like you said, the second unit allows him to attack a little bit more, feel a little bit more confident, see less attention. You know, in the first unit at some points, he was getting a lot of attention. His confidence wasn't there. He's getting a little frazzled. So I think – I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I think D'Lo and Dimini just didn't have great chemistry in the lineup. You know, you still see it a little bit on the court, like they're disagreeing on what plays to call and whatnot. So I think when they're separated and they both have, you know, Levert as that secondary guy at points, I think that really helps both of them. And it's no shot at them. What are your thoughts? You know, we've seen a little bit with Crab being out. We've seen a D'Lo, Dinwiddie, and Levert lineup out there. 
What are your thoughts on that? I like it a lot, Nick. You know, Alan Crabb obviously is probably our best three-point shooter alongside Joe Harris. But the amount of, of switchability and, and the quickness to get out in transition and also the d- defensive capabilities of Spencer and Karras, you know, all those guys can play, mate. All those guys can shoot well enough. You know, D'Lo certainly improved in the past sort of couple of games with his three-point shooting after that massive performance and the loss. And Spencer, we know, has been doing it all season, despite sometimes he might take a poor shot. And Karras has improved out of sight since the beginning of the season as well. So it's not that they're liabilities by any stretch on the perimeter either. And all of them can sort of create their own shot and get to the line. You know, it's sort of a, a work in progress for a guy like D'Angelo Russell. But Karras and Spencer uh, have this real craftiness about them in different ways. Obviously, you know, they are different have different physical capabilities. But I like that lineup a lot. You know, you pair it with a, a Jared Allen sort of being a defensive anchor down there. And you can add in a Joe Harris as sort of like a small ball four or even a Rondé who's, you know, a, an absolute so, sort of have that really sort of really switchy. There's just so many different elements that um, Coach Kenny's experimenting with. And we've been, you know, harping on it since, you know, midway through the season. You know, we were never going to make the playoffs. So there's there's no reason why we don't experiment and see what can happen with this. And, you know, plus minus might be up and down or whatever it is, but it's about seeing, you know, what you can get out of the chemistry of these guys and sort of seeing, okay, what works best in terms of, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of each of those three guys. And they've all got strengths and weaknesses, but it's about being able to balance it out. And I think Coach Kenny is doing a pretty good job of it so far. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the creativity, you want to see how that works. And I wouldn't even mind seeing a super small lineup on Cunningham's back of like a Carroll and Cunningham. Yeah. Really spacing the floor, allowing Levert to attack the rim because he's been great, especially he's been getting mismatches. You've seen Dinwiddie attack a little bit more, even D'Angelo. You know, all these guys can attack, and you mentioned shoot the three. All of them were somewhat inconsistent, but, you know, D'Lo's hot right now, uh, Dinwiddie's cold right now, and Levert's kind of in between. But yeah. And I mean, talk- it's it's like the the three little bears, Nick. There's one that's <laughs> too hot, there's one that's too cold, and there's one that's just right. Um, hopefully, you know, Goldilocks doesn't steal us. But no, we're going okay. And I think you know, it's up, it, basketball is a game of up and downs about consistency and momentum. You know, we talked about Alan Crabb and his sort of soft start, and then he's been hot. You know, you you take the good with the bad. But I think is as long as the bad isn't so horrible that it's unplayable. But I think you know, the, even Spencer did when he had his worst. We've talked about it. He might shoot poorly but he can still get to the line and score. He can still be active on the defensive end. Same with the Karis LeVert. Um, D'Angelo Russell probably struggles sometimes when, you know, his shot's not falling. But I think, you know, in going into the preseason and the offseason, he's going to be working on moves, probably going to the to the line a, a lot more. You know, get some James Harden about and that we've sort of harped on that we want to see from him. But yeah, the worst isn't certainly bad from any of these guys. They're not unplayable. Um, they're... The ceiling and their basement has certainly, you know, um, it's a lot more even keel, so to speak. Yeah, and they're all guys you're looking to see improve. And, you know, as young players, your shooting's always going to be somewhat inconsistent until they yeah. finally get in that groove. But talking about Lavert, you know, he's been great the last few games, really attacking the rim. Since that big game against the Clippers, he's put up some nice numbers. And Kenny mentioned, uh, they mentioned this on the Yes Network broadcast last night. And shout out to them. They do a great job. Always fun to listen to them. And who am I? But Levert, uh, Kenny said about Levert, he has the ability of both D'Lo and Dinwiddie when it comes to, you know, going downhill and being crafty and probing around the rim. So he kind of likes the versatility Levert brings because he's offering kind of a combination of both guys. 
He does. And I, and I think he's got this sort of length about him that the other two don't really have either. He's got a, a real speed about him that sort of D'Angelo doesn't have. And he's got a real sort of craftiness that uh, sort of did what he does have. So like, yeah, Coach Kenny said, he's got the, the best of both worlds in many senses. There are times where he can look like, and we've mentioned it before, like a deer in headlights or like a baby Bambi of sorts. You know, he can, um, but I think he's sort of tapered that quite a bit. And I think that's come with a, a level of maturity and also a level of confidence that's been instilled from him, um, from Coach Kenny and the, and the likes of the assistant coaches as well. You know, he's been able to make his mistakes out there and not feel like, you know, he's going to get crucified for it. There are times where Coach Kenny will pull him out or even a Spencer. You know, he's done that with plenty of our guys this year, sort of given that sort of, um, you know, in air quotes, teaching moments. Um, but last night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's done at the right time and in the right setting. And I think these guys are, are willing to be coached. Um, I heard Steve Kerr uh, recently mentioned the fact that, you know, the Nets are instilling such a, a really positive culture. And from that, you know, can breed success. You know, he mentioned the fact that he walked into a situation where he could sort of instill a culture because he had the talent there. And, you know, culture come was almost, almost secondary. Whereas for the Nets, it's almost like we don't have the talent yet, but we're instilling a culture. And with that, hopefully breeds success. Sort of like the chicken and the egg, as I think Howard Beck mentioned. So, you know, the culture hopefully breeds success. And then, you know, that breeds more, you know, player development, as it's already been the case. Yeah, I mean, Levert, like you said, the improvement we've seen from him early on the season where, you know, he wasn't looking as confident as a ball handler, especially being the only ball handler out there. Now he looks fine. He can run the pick and roll, create plays, kind of gets that double team and knows where to pass it. We've mentioned his wraparound passes. So Levert is the guy. I think the only thing I'd like to see from Levert is kind of step up a little bit more defensively. He really struggles getting over screens or sometimes he just loses focus where he kind of like guesses on a side instead of just trying to play it straight up. So I think that's one area he needs to work in. Obviously, a little strength will help. We mentioned Levert, D'Lo, Dinwiddie, Rondé, a lot of the, Jared Allen. A lot of these young guys just need to hit the gym. So I could imagine Levert with a little bit more length. He's going to even be a tougher defend. We saw what he did against Joel Embiid in Philly. You know, one-on-one, -on -one, he definitely pissed them off a few times. He came with that hard foul late in the game. So Levert's definitely getting his notice in the league. He is, and I think a lot of that's going to come with physical development. Um, these guys have a huge uh, emotional intelligence when it comes to being on the court, um, and I think D'Lo, you know, is developing quite nicely in terms of his his physical frame, and you know he's going to get confident within his body. I think Spencer uh, is almost already there. You know, at 24 years old, he's feeling himself quite well. But Karis is still a baby. You know, we sort of talked about the fact that this is almost like a a second rookie season for him because he, he sort of came out, was injured, you know, didn't really have sort of the consistency that he would have liked in terms of uh, the health. But, you know, I, I think going into the offseason, him, Jarrett, you know, they'll be spending some nights at the at the Brooklyn gyms. Um, but I think at the same time, hopefully it's – it's I, I can't see it taking away from their already uh, capable elements of their game when it comes to sort of their speed and their length and, and their craftiness. Yeah, for sure. You definitely, especially like we mentioned, getting to that age just kind of helps add on muscle. But you mentioned D'Lo, and he's been cooking from three. You know, a lot of it's been in the first quarter, but in March, he's shooting 45% from the three-point line. What do you think this is? Is the fact that he's kind of got away from shooting those pull-up threes and kind of focused more on getting those catch-and-shoot opportunities? It's, it's, it's a weird thing, Nick, because I'm wondering, he's always loved his sort of mid-range and long twos. And whether it's been a, an instruction from, from Coach Kenny or from some assistant coaches and just go, look, just take that step back. Or whether it's just been a more of a, an individualistic thing where it's just like, you know what, I've got this shot, I'm going to take it. And sort of see how he feels it from early on. A lot, Like you mentioned, a lot of that has happened early. 
So I think that comes from, for me, I reckon it's coming from more from the impetus of him. You know, he's taking those shots early on, seeing how the shot feels. And if it's there, look, I'm going for it. You know, four of nine from the field last night, um, only second to Damari Carroll, Carroll, who was four of eight. You know, if he's feeling it, you know, those shots open up the floor so for so many other players and also opens up the lane for him. And it even opens up his mid-range game a little bit because, you know, if he's a threat from there, he can take that one dribble pull-up, which he's really good at. So it's a real weapon of his. I think it's going to add to his game. Um, I think it's not necessarily... Um, I'm not sure how you know consistent it's going to be for him going forward, but the fact that it's you know almost turning into a trend for him shows that there might be some staying ability to it. Yeah, I'd like to look at the end of the season what his you know the difference between his pull up three point percentage and his catch and shoot three point percentage, and I think it'd yeah. be drastically different. Yeah, and you mentioned how it would help him. You know, he doesn't need the you know pulling up from three is a great skill, but he doesn't necessarily need that right away. You know, it's something he can kind of work on. Then what he's worked on, it's been a little inconsistent this season, but work on the offseason the next two years. Catch and shoots just fine because his pump fake game is amazing. We've seen him kill it with the pump fakes, you know, get people on the ground just with the fakes that he has. So hitting the catch and shoot three, I think if he could shoot that at a high 30%, we'd be pretty happy with it. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned his pump fake game and, and his pull up three. I think he had a couple against Portland, which sort of won us the game in the past. So he's certainly got that ability, but at the he has same the pull time. pull up mid range game, which is fine. And it just got to kind of work its way out. Yeah, definitely. And I think in, in terms of, you know, being able to, the, the way the system is playing right now in terms of how the ball is moving, that certainly helps him find those sort of easier shots. Yep. He had some easy sort of open looks and, you know, that gets the confidence going. You know, guys are looking for him. You know, he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands the entire time. He can sort of, you know, give it to a Rondé and Rondé can create a little bit. You know, we've seen his assist numbers increase. There are so many guys in this lineups and in, in these lineups that can just create and pass the ball. It's a really sort of, you know, well-rounded skill set and well-rounded team. So that's certainly helping uh, D'Angelo as well. Yeah, and when he's the only guy, when he's not playing with Dimity, I think he takes more of an effort to kind of get the offense moving. The bounce passes he's been throwing to Jared Allen, I mean, last night I think he had six assists. He could have easily had eight because Allen missed two dunks. But he's also done a great job getting Rondé in good position to score. And I think, you know, if he just kind of gets that mentality where he's not always looking to shoot and he kind of can balance it perfectly, which he's still a young player and new to this role, It'll just be great for the Nets. Yeah, he's basically forced into, not forced into it, it's been thrust to him in a way. And he's he's taken it on himself to sort of, you know, be that leader out there. And he's still finding his footing, you know, with the injuries. It certainly doesn't help. Um, you know, you want to be out there for as much as possible. But, you know, he's certainly... Season. It has been. It's been up and it's been down. But overall, um, I'll be having an article out in the in the coming weeks on Delo season. You know, I had one out on him um, after his injury, sort of seeing the the positives. But him, it's probably going to be a bit more of a balanced piece. So I uh, don't at me Nets fans if it's uh, <laughs> a little bit critical. But um, I'll certainly have that out. I'll be plugging it on OTG and, and Brooklyn Buzz going forward. For sure, definitely check that out. Jack's a great writer, and he'll definitely give you you know a fair take on Delo, positive, negative as well. And like you said, you know. It's And like I said, it's been a weird season in the sense that, you know, early on in the year, it looked like he was a guy who was going to get a ton of touches, run the show. He gets injured. He comes back. He's going to kind of work with Dinwiddie. Now he's kind of back into being the starting lineup and running the show. And then at some times, Dinwiddie and Levert are out there. So it's like definitely adjustment in new teammates, new players. And like I said, Adilo and Dinwiddie's chemistry doesn't seem 100% perfect right now. And that's not saying they don't get along or anything, but just playing with different guys, sometimes it just doesn't always work. And that's nothing against, you know, a person. It's just sometimes it just isn't a perfect fit. One more Absolutely. question about D'Lo, though, Jack. 
Why do you think he's been so hot in the first quarter and then cooled off the rest of the game? Is it adjustments from the other team, lack of focus, aggression? What do you think has been the reason for the cool off after the big first quarters? Look, I think it happens with young players a lot, Nick. Um, they can either start really hot or end really hot. You know, he sort of finds in, finds in, uh, finds his shot early and then maybe because he's sort of trying to be a bit more liberal, uh, I've used that word a couple of times, trying to be a bit more, you know, team player, trying to find his teammates a little bit more, you know, he sort of, you know, got his stats a little bit, Philly stats a little bit. Not necessarily that he's looking for those stats, but, you know, his box score is looking quite nice early. So he's like, okay, let me see if I can find my teammates, get them hot. You know, I've got my confidence going. Let's see if I can look for my teammates. But I think he's certainly, he's, I think he's just learning to ride the waves of a 48-minute game. You know, he's certainly, his minutes are, are back up to that 30-minute range, which I'm, I'm sure is what he's happy with. Um, I'm, even in the last sort of 10 games, I'd like to see that reach some maybe a 33 mark sort of see how he can go, you know, with extended minutes out there and sort of get a really nice balance between him and Dinwiddie because both of them are playing very similar minutes. And at times, I want to see them together, not necessarily for long stretches because they do affect each other's game in certain aspects. But at the same time, I, I think the reason why it's happening is because he's sort of learning to sort of feel himself and ride that momentum, ride that wave. You know, he can't be necessarily an AD. He doesn't have that maturity and that sort of level of confidence yet. Um, he's still finding himself in terms of his basketball maturity. I think it's better to find yourself hot at one one stage than not at all, you know, just be cold the entire game. Uh, but I think the consistency is obviously an issue for, for, for lots of young players. And I think for D-Lo, it's about, you know, four consistent performances. But at the same time, you know, he was hot early, but then Rondé was hot a little bit later. And same to Mari Carroll. Sometimes you just have those guys that are, you know, the guy you're going to feed early on. And then, you know, the second quarter might be a different guy. So... I think it's just a, it's not necessarily on him per se. Uh, it might be a little bit of column A and column B. So, you know, it, I'd rather see this from, from D-Lo being hot early than not being hot at all. It's sort of, you know, uh, being a bit more, uh, being le less passive, uh, being more passive rather than, you know, showing that aggression early on. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you definitely want to shoot your shot. You know, I think D'Lo's a talented guy, and the Nets want to see what he can do. So, like you said, kind of test that shot early on. I think some of it, though, later in the game has been, Kind of fitting in a little bit too much at points, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, he wants to make his teammates happy. And also, it's been adjustments. Like we saw in the to Toronto game, uh, Nick from Nets Daily did a great, you know, video piece on that and how Fred Van Vliet, you know, really bothered him. And we've seen other games where teams have kind of adjusted to D'Lo when he's been hot early. When he's been cold, they haven't given him as much attention. He struggled a little bit with double teams at points. They trapped him off pick and rolls. So I think there's just a few things where he'll kind of learn, work on experiences in the NBA that'll help him kind of find that consistency and be able to kind of, give us more balanced scoring throughout, you know, four quarters. You know, you're never going to see somebody score like, you know, eight points first, eight points second, eight point third, eight point fourth. But, you know, if he's scoring 10 in the first, you want to see him at least score four or six. You know what I mean? You don't want to have a zero yeah. point quarter. So I think that's where one thing that Spencer Dimini can help him with. And when that, that double team is out there, whether, you know, Coach Kenny can make a rotation, bring out a Levert, bring out a Dimwitty. So he get the ball out of his hands and then sort of force it because Spencer Dimwitty can certainly draw that attention as well. And, you know, if that's starting to happen late, you know, you you want to have a guy like a Spencer Dinwiddie out there who can create his own shot. It's probably uh, been one of the best shot creators in terms of from the perimeter, especially this season. He's been up and down, but he certainly has that ability. So, you know, that's where a guy like a Spencer Dinwiddie can sort of ease the load, so to speak, for, for a D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, you know, let D'Lo play a little bit off ball. Gets, you know, some of those catch yeah. and shoot threes have been obviously off ball. So I think he can benefit playing with certain guys. We'll see what happens with that chemistry. Definitely see it with, you know, Levert and D'Lo and even Dinwiddie and D'Lo. We just want to see that D'Lo and Dinwiddie kind of combo come together. 
But moving so, on to Jared Allen, sorry to cut you off, Jack. I was going to say, try saying that a million times. Dealer, Dimity, Dimity, Dealer, Dealer, Dimity, Lever. It's uh, it's a tongue twister. I'm sure you know, it's one that we're going to have to practice a bit if we're going to be smashing this Brooklyn buzz going forward. I'm going to have to <laughs> definitely my vocal some... warm ups like Sharpay from High School Musical. Shout out to Sharpay. You got it. Yeah, definitely get that in there, especially if they make any more lineup changes. But oh, talking man. Jared Allen, another young guy, he's hit the rookie wall a little bit. You know, we expect this to happen, especially at Allen's size and the amount of minutes he's had to play in the bigs he's ha- had to match up with. You know, if you've seen it, he's missed a few dunks. He's been a little bit passive around the boards. What are your thoughts on that with Allen? I think he got back a bit to a little bit last night, Nick. You know, four blocks um, for a guy of his size. You know, um, that's something you, you want to see. And he filled out the box score a little bit. You know, seven points, six rebounds, you know, three offensive. So that shows that he's, you know, showing energy on both sides. Uh, I think Coach Kenny was really impressed with his defense. You know, he's probably one of our best defenders, especially around the rim, uh, quite easily our best rim defender. But, you know, with the guy, I think when he's out there with a guy like a Damari Carroll and even a Rondé, you know, those guys sort of really help him and, and sort of allow him to sort of, you know, roam a little bit more. And because those two are such really great defenders at the power forward position, it allows Jared Allen to sort of conserve his energy somewhat. Um, he's hit- they definitely help him on the boards too. And I think but- that's what he needs. Is he needs like either Rondé or Carroll out there to help him on the boards because he just doesn't have the size right now. Yeah, the team rebounding is, is certainly one thing uh, I, I heard Rondé uh, mentioned to the media post game the fact that they're boxing out there uh, the key for them is you know getting the nice box out and they really preach guard rebounding so the guards get the ball into their hands so they can sort of run it out we're definitely a huge team re- rebounding team but then when you know Jared Allen gets uh, you know balances out his offensive rebounding you know that gets a uh, great uh, extra possessions for us as a team but also gets in some looks you know to, to for some put back dunks or, or put back layups you know he's going to have his ups and downs but I'd rather see him sort of work through them, you know, not sort of be benched or whatever, you know, seeing, still seeing 28 minutes a night. You know, I think, you know, there's going to be times where that might go down to a 20 when a Dante Cunningham comes back. But as long as he's still seeing, you know, some consistent minutes out there and he's watching his game film, seeing where it sort of happens. But, you know, it's a, it's a tough grind for a, for a lot of these rookies because, you know, obviously they're used to playing such short seasons with the, with the college system as it is. But Jared Allen overall, even at, at like we mentioned before with some of our other guards, when he's not, not playing his best, he still has value out there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think one thing the Nets might consider is just resting him a few games here and there. You know, they rested him, I think, you know, a few games back with a foot. So I think that's something you can do and then keep his minutes up. Then you don't even have to play him less. You don't have to worry about injury. You know, when guys are fatigued, they're more likely to get hurt. So I think maybe give him a game of rest here or there and kind of let him get back into it. And like you mentioned last night, he got that quick benching. Then he came back, got a few blocks, was a little bit more aggressive. You know, he's just not used to playing this many games and not used to going up against guys this big. Oh, and I think, you know, Dante Cunningham being out, certainly, you know, he's been a, a really nice acquisition for us and sort yeah. of you know, eases the load for Jared Allen in, in many ways. You know, he's a, he's a really sort of um, ready NBA body. He can shoot from the perimeter. He's got a really nice sort of, you know, versatile skill set when it comes to sort of being defensive and offensive. Um, so I think him coming back, you know, like you mentioned, the, the resting of Jared Allen, I think there could be uh, a stage where that happens. But I think Dante's going to have to be healthy for that to happen because, you know, if we can't be left out there with, you know, uh, a Jilla Okafor being our guy playing 30 minutes. No no shade uh, at all. But, you know, we've seen what we've seen from Jilla Okafor right now is that he's not earning those minutes, those elevated minutes like a Jared Allen like a, a Dante Cunningham and even Damari Carroll. 
Yeah, and you know, it's just Okafor plays well against Philadelphia and not the rest of the league, but yeah. whatever. Um, but like you mentioned, Amari, he's been great. Shout out to him. You know, we don't have enough time to talk about him, but let's talk about the next few games. You know, the Nets could possibly go on a three-game winning streak. They have Memphis at home, and then they have Charlotte at home. What are the chances they go on the winning streak percentage-wise? Look, I'm going to give it a 65-70% chance, Nick. I, nice. think, I think Charlotte are going to be um, wanting revenge after that win against them uh, away, which was one of our uh, more impressive wins of the season. Uh, Memphis is certainly on a winning streak now, somehow. Um, <laughs> I remember putting on my Google Doc early in the week for JBT, when will the, will the Grizzlies win another game this season? And they go ahead and beat Denver, who are having many problems of sorts. So, But I think you know Grizz, the Grizzlies will be – it will be remiss of them to go out and want to get the win. You know, I'm sure they'll be playing guys that we've never heard of, guys that are on 10 days, and I'm sure when we watch the highlights or when we watch it live, it's just like, wait, who's that guy? Um, but hopefully the Nets can sort of maintain their mentality, um, stay aggressive on both ends of the floor, stay engaged, especially defensively. Um, I think that was Coach Kenny's, you know, real sort of preaching uh, topics for, for the sort of game, you know, just stay aggressive. We're not worried about um, offense today. Stay aggressive defensively. We'll let our offense work itself out. And I think, you know, that's been a key factor for a lot of our wins. Ball movement and, you know, aggression on the defensive end. Yeah, because, you know, like we've mentioned, the Nets don't have a ton of elite defensive guys. It's a lot of effort in team defense. One thing I'd probably like to see is use that length a little bit more defensively. Like we mentioned, D'Lo, Dinwiddie, and LeVert all have some good length to them being around that 6'5 to 6'7 range with long arms. So work on that. The team rebounding, you know, offensive rebounds are still a little bit of a problem against Dallas. Clean that up. Should be good. I think probably like a 50% chance. Maybe even high. Actually, you know what? I'll go with 70 because I think both teams are looking to lose. Like yeah. Memphis, they got their win, you know, for the week. They don't want to get too many wins. They want to keep blowing that lottery because that's their best chance of, you know, getting a good player and kind of improving that situation. Same thing can be said about Charlotte. You know, what are they, seven or eight games out of the eighth seed right now? That's a long, yeah. long shot to happen if that. And, you know, they need to kind of get down the standings. They want to stay under Detroit. There's really no value in them playing any veteran players. They should be playing, you know, Malik Monk and some of the young, young guys. Willie Herman Gomez a little bit more, so – I think, you know, there's yeah. no chance and that's play hard. They're at home. These, this would be a good, you know, three-game winning streak, a good little stretch to kind of build on the confidence. They do have a tough game after that in Toronto on the road. But, you know, you take care of business at home the rest of the season. I think that'd be a nice building block for next year. Yeah, that's a great thing for the home fans. Um, I, I think hey, that the, too. It's, it's all about, you know, where – we're, we're a podcast for the fans. We're a podcast for, for all the people who, who love Brooklyn and, and love seeing this team, you know, building it. And, and they're on the rise. And, and that's one thing that we're, we're sort of craving to see, just to see some momentum, especially at home, because, you know, the, the Nets fans have been a, a highly supportive base. They've been highly supportive of us, which we've been super grateful for. And, you know, they've been highly supportive of the team. And I think the, the team are, are really sort of building that really nice connection, the sort of sense of community um, that around Brooklyn and, and worldwide. You know, the, the Brooklyn brigade uh, extends uh, very far and wide so um, hopefully they can get a, a nice little win streak not just for us Nick but for, for the fans far and wide yeah for sure what do you think I mean we said 30 wins was the goal but obviously that's looking a little bit less and less likely if they can somehow get to you know 28 wins would that be good enough for you oh absolutely two wins is you know <laughs> we well, won't and then go... you consider the refs you know that whole you know report on us not getting the calls we did a good segment on that in the NBA outlet you know, that one kind of hurt, and that's probably – I'm not trying to, you know, throw shade, but that's probably at least three or four wins. It is. And, um, you know, if we counted in our heads, Nicholas, you know, that's 28 plus three. If I'm doing my maths correctly, that's 31. Um, I do – I am a teacher, so I should know that uh, immediately. 
but it took me a little while. It is a Sunday, so yeah, I think to any anywhere around 27, 28 wins would be would be nice. But at the same time, the the number isn't necessarily going to be the the be all and end all. It's going to be seeing the form of guys like Delo, the form of guys like Jared Allen, the form of guys like Ronde and Karras and Dinwiddie. You know, if we're losing games. Um, by you know huge margins and and these guys aren't playing well that's going to be the more d- disappointing factor but if we see some good development from these guys going into the off season and um you know the wins come with it then all the all the better for it if we cannot have any blowouts the rest of the season i think that would be a positive you know if every Absolutely. loss is everything you know within 10 points against the good teams you know when we're playing the chicago bulls and they're trying to tank at the end of the year you know, we need to make sure we at least win or win that game or lose on like a lucky buzzer beater or something like that. So, but you mentioned it, Jack, the fans always support us. So a quick shout out to two guys that always give us love on Twitter, uh, Blackjack and Flatbush and Atlantic. You know, those guys always give us love. So here's some love back to them. Absolutely. Those guys and all the fans uh, around Twitter that are listening to us, anyone on listening to us on Blog Talk, Radio, iTunes, you know, make sure you subscribe. Um, you know, I've gotten some love from fans uh, back home in Australia as well. You know, it's it's amazing the support that we get, not just for us, but for, for everything across OTG and the OTG Podcast Network. Um, we put in a lot of work for it, and um, we really appreciate everything for it. We don't yeah. necessarily do it for the for the um, for the love and for the for the praise, but it certainly doesn't hurt, and it certainly makes it everything worth it. Yeah, definitely for sure. And like Jack said, we appreciate that. And if you're looking for, you know, obviously the net season is winding down. You're looking for some NBA playoff podcasts. We'll be doing a ton of that on the OTG Podcast Network, the NBA outlet, JBT, Celtics Express, you know, the bird calls, plenty of stuff on there. Definitely check that out. And as always, thank you for listening. And thanks for hopping on, Jack. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.